Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. And let me just say, to get us started, I, there's really only one thing I have to say, and it's this. That's right, folks. We're talking Avatar. That's a little Navi for you. Just welcoming you to the podcast. May the great mother shine her light upon us all because we're going to have a great time talking about Avatar. As we record here in the spring of 2022, I'm really excited to report we've got Avatar 2 coming out in the fall. That's right. This year, we've got Avatar 2 coming out. So we're not going to really worry about spoilers here. This is more of a refresher because if you're breathing, I assume you've seen Avatar unless you were born after Avatar came out, in which case, I guess I'll give you a pass, but get on it. But in the meantime, we'll just give you some stuff to look at because Avatar's got a lot to talk about. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in this movie. It's a great just action adventure story. It's fun for the whole family. I think it has a great overall message about appreciating the world and uh, you know, the man and humanity's relationship to the environment. And it also has a lot to say about a particular version of uh, the hero's journey or the artist's journey, actually, the, the, the day-to-day practice that comes after the hero's journey. Because Avatar, maybe in keeping with its more environmental emphasis or themes, really tells us a lot about how to incorporate the shamanic into our lives. And I'm being specific here, and I know that maybe some of you are worried, uh, you were already worried about this podcast, Uh, this guy seems a little bit out there, and obviously I'm not here to hide it, I'm, I'm 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 a little bit of a hippie myself, I'm into the woo, I hate when people get dismissive and they're like, that's woo. I'm, I'm not into that. Or when people get self-conscious, when they're like, I really believe that everything has a purpose. I know that sounds like a lot of woo. I say, no, don't buy into that framing. The woo is good because the woo is the sacred. It's just a word that people use to describe the full complement of reality beyond the reality that can be depicted in language or even fully apprehended in our five senses. It's truly almost extrasensory. Uh, It's it's what uh, Immanuel Kant called the the numinous. Uh, it's, It's the level where reality is fully saturated with being. But the good news is that means it is this same reality. It's just a way of cultivating a specific kind of sight, like a third sight, a sight beyond sight, your shamanic sight. Uh, and it's just a cool way of looking at it because the fact is, if you're listening to this podcast, you're into personal development and that's really what it is. It's about seeing what you could be seeing your best self, seeing how you could improve your world, how you could improve your community. 
entering into sort of a, a numinous, ambiguous zone of uncertainty where you're willing to encounter things that may be hurtful to your psyche or to your way of understanding the world so that you can actually understand more of the world and come back and help people do the same. And that's really what Avatar is about to me. And I think that's what Avatar is actually about to the people that wrote it because we see it so early in the script. In fact, we see it in the first lines of the script. So let's take a listen. When I was lying there in the VA hospital with a big hole blown through the middle of my life, I started having these dreams of flying. I was free. Sooner or later though, you always have to wake up. All right. So I wanted to play that clip before we got into the actual three takeaways we have from Avatar, because I wanted to make sure we were fairly understanding what, what we're talking about and what the film has to offer. So this clip really should, if you're, if you, and after this episode, you will be, if you're keyed into the shamanic frequencies, whenever you see something about a tale beginning with somebody incurring a bodily wound, especially one that slows them down or stops them physically from being able to do something they used to do. And through that wound, they enter into a dream space in which they are able to fly or you see images of flight or abilities that are compared to flight. And especially if you then see a, an ability or a, an indication that you leave that dream space and come back to reality, that's everything we just heard in this clip. That is the shamanic journey. That's what shamans do traditionally. And, and you know, you see references to medicine men or to seers or to witches or to any kind of uh, non-traditional healing. Uh, some scholars might uh, or have called shamanism like psycho-spiritual and psychosomatic healing. In other words, you're using the body, you're using the brain to heal your spirit and your body, but you're looking at them all in tandem rather than saying, you know, okay, here's just, oh, if, if you're depressed, here's a chemical imbalance in your brain versus saying, you know, well, maybe you don't like your job because you're called to do something higher. You know what I mean? In your spirit, there's no medicinal test that will tell you that you should start a business. You know what I mean? Uh, or similarly, if you, if you don't have energy or something like that, you can get your hormones checked, but you may just need a prospect in your life that excites you. You know what I mean? That, that you can use your brain to heal your body by changing the things in your life. But to do that, you have to enter that dreamscape. And that's what the shamanic flight really is, is when you've been wounded in your way of doing things, you have to be able to enter this new world. But you only get there through uh, a certain amount of trauma and pain because when you enter the world as a rational being, you enter the world with a set of rules that are intended to keep you safe and you don't give them up easily. They've been drilled into you by reality. Uh, that happens to all of us. That's universal. It is a universal wounding. And so in addition to telling a hero's tale, Avatar is so fantastic because 
Jake Sully's journey mirrors all of our journey from birth to life. Uh, he, he begins at, in a crisis with respect to his regular life as a soldier, but he also begins as, an, as a baby. He awakes from cryo sleep, you know, uh, to facilitate space travel. And the voiceover is like, you're weak. You don't know anything. You just need food. And so, you know, again, like a baby, you just need to physically survive. And then... Uh, the movie does such a great job of dramatizing the transition from birth to consciousness and how we actually learn and construct what reality is. And the way we do that is through encounters with authority figures who, if we're lucky, tell us truthfully that they're here to keep us safe and that there, there are hostilities in the world, but they're going to tell us about them and they have a system that will let us master this scary environment. So again, Jake is already at the end of the rope with respect to whatever was supposed to keep him safe as a U.S. or as a Marine for whatever version of the United States exists in Avatar Future. But when he enters the moon of Pandora, it really is a new world. And here, he, the first thing he learns is how to survive on a hostile environment. And that really brings us to the first takeaway from Avatar for me this week. And the first really thing to remember as you encounter or as you feel yourself, these stirrings of discontent with regular reality that are urging you to the unknown, that are urging you to something higher. This is my takeaway, and we're going to play a clip in a second, but I want to say the takeaway first and I'll repeat it. And it's this, mere survival is a self-defeating value. Okay. What do I mean by that? Let's listen to a clip and I'll explain it. As head of security, it is my job to keep you alive. I will not succeed. Not with all of you. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. Rule number one. It's nothing like an old school safety brief to put your mind at ease. Okay, so I think this clip is important. As I said, I think it dramatizes Jake uh, going from birth to consciousness. You know, he says nothing like a safety briefing to put your mind at ease because the military view of Pandora, it's almost the inverse of the, the planet on Dune, Arrakis, the hostile desert planet. This is a lush jungle, but to a fearful, the fearful amygdala part of the human mind that's threat detecting, everything's a potential threat. And so to survive, you have to look at the world as an other and as an enemy. But that's what I mean when I say mere survival is a self-defeating value. I almost said survival is not a value because it, it isn't in a way, and I'll get to that, but it's necessary to have any values. And I don't discount that. You do what you got to do always. And uh, that's what pain does. That's what fear does. They shrink our world. They make us feel like we have less options perhaps than we do because they make us feel like every choice is fraught with survival. It literally increases your allostatic load, which then further decreases your ability to even discern choices, let alone make them. And so it's very appealing when you're offered rules. And I think what the movie does so well is he says, follow the rules, 
rule number one, and then it fades out because the, the specifics don't matter. The real rule number one is listen to the authority figure. And that's what we all do without even realizing it. Even if you were a rebellious kid, and some people called me that, you still have internalized authority. You know, we talk about internalized systemic racism or misogyny, and it doesn't just have to be, I mean, as a, a white man, it's easy for me to see how those would crop up in my own life. But I do agree with many people from all walks of life who have observed that it happens to us all. And so you really, you you have to go back to the beginning and see how did this happen? Why did I think that these rules were necessary to survive? And why am I now ambivalent about them? Why am I in pain about them? And it's because often I think once you have enough to survive, you realize that it's not enough. You know what I'm saying? I'll say that again. When you have enough to survive, you realize that it's not enough to survive. You know what I mean? In different ways. You mean, and you know what I mean? It's not enough to survive because we want more for real. Yourself wants to transcend who you are today. You want to be more than what you are today. And the only way you can do that is to transcend your small self, your ego self, the construction of rules and responses and attachments to various identity markers that you have decided define who you are today. When you hit that dark night of the soul, when you hit that crisis point, and maybe you didn't decide, maybe you just inherited it, that's what I'm saying, or internalized it before you could even think about it because you had a safety briefing. You know what I mean? Maybe your safety briefing was that you always had to be quiet because your needs would get you in trouble. Maybe your safety briefing was that you had to be the best in school and get the most degrees and have the most prestigious job, but you're wondering why it leaves you hollow. Maybe that's the hole in your life. You know, whatever it is though, you've got to realize that that true values, and this is what I mean by survival may not even be a value at all. True values, in my opinion, in my opinion, are transcendent. They transcend rules. They transcend the day-to-day. And that's because we, our ultimate value is to be something more than we are, to build something bigger than we are, to, be some, to become something that we're meant to become along with other people. And that means you have to get out of survival mode because the only way you do that is by bringing in more life into your life. You have to let the defenses down. And that's why mere survival is self defeating because yourself wants to do more than survive. And if you are able to define your values and if you are able to get in touch with what you value enough, you may even be lucky to find something that you value enough that you value it more than survival, that you would happily die for it under the right circumstances Uh, because we're all dying for something. And Carl Jung said that uh, or believed that the purpose of life is to prepare us for death. And I, I kind of hope that is the case, unless we can eliminate it. I know a lot of people think we're on the cusp of immortality. You know, I'll see you there if you're right. But if not, you know, I think we need to prepare. And the way that we do that is by building something that will transcend through family, through community, through creativity, uh, through making the world a better place. And the way you do that is by seeing the world differently. That's that shamanic journey. And you've got to get past that survival space, that day-to-day threat detection. So how do you do that? Well, let's talk about it on our next clip. All right, so... 
We've talked about getting out of survival space. We've talked about getting out of the day-to-day rules. And I think that's so important because another function traditionally of the shaman is as uh, a technician of the sacred and a technician specifically of ecstatic practices to journey into other realms. So again, the shaman is typically someone who is gifted with this ability, but in a community uh, that, that has this specific function, others can avail themselves of the shaman. That's kind of the point. So you're like, yo, shaman, you know, I've got a problem. I feel like a devil is living in my heart or whatever. And he's like, all right, check it out. Starts banging on a drum. You know, you guys trance out, you encounter the demon. He might grab it, throw it out. Maybe he puts it in an amulet. Then you take it around and that's your symbol of your ability to incorporate it into your life, you know, and you learn something along the way. But to do that, you go through that ceremony because the shaman through these rituals uh, lifts the taboos, the rules that we talked about previously in our last segment and allows you to enter this liminal space in which some of these rules are lifted, not because you do whatever you want, but because those rules are here to to protect our consciousnesses from too much life, from too much reality. But when you need more, when you need to really dig deep to undo what you've learned, to undo who you've become, that's when you enter this zone. And so how do you see this other reality? How do you enter this zone and see what could be? And here, I told you, I gave you warning, we're going to go full hippie on this podcast. So our next two takeaways are going to rhyme because rhyming does help you remember. It's a little trick of the human brain. Why not take advantage of it? So how do you see this shamanic site? What's the first step when you've, you've realized that you've got to shed your rules, you've gone into your ritualized space, and for everyday cultivation of this mindset, I would just say in the morning, this is when you're meditating, this is when you're journaling about the day to come. This is when you're having your cup of coffee and just breathing. You're looking at the sunlight, doing your stretches, whatever. Whatever your ritual is before you enter the day-to-day, that's when you're, you're in this space in, in a, a contained, manageable, a kind of tactical way almost. And guess, and to me, the way that you use this time to see as much as you can, to access the infinite, both within with, and without, is you've got to be, Okay. So that's my takeaway from point number two from Avatar. You've got to be to see, all right? You've got to be to see. And there are so many good clips for Avatar or from Avatar for this. And I really got this idea. Like I said, I, I, yeah, I watched this movie with some buddies this weekend, including some who have heard this podcast. So they're giving me a little digs, you know, every line they were like, folks, so, you know, you've, you do have to be an avatar or like whatever, you know. So Michelle Rodriguez, the queen, you may know her from Fast and Furious. She's a fighter pilot in this movie. And the movie, you know, again, the script works on so many levels. So the first uh, thing she says is like somebody's jacking around in the flight deck and she's like, watch it. And my friend just looks at me and he's like, folks, you do have to watch it, you know? And I, look, it was very funny, but shows him because that's our next clip. So right afterwards, so let's, Michelle says, watch it. Watch it. And then afterwards, uh, and the script really does this well because it makes sense in the day-to-day level, but it has that shamanic deeper meaning, that Kabbalistic deeper meaning in the text because right afterwards she explains uh or the script allows her to voice an explanation for why you actually do, folks, 
have to watch it. All right, next. So we'll play that next part of the clip. Yeah, that's because we're not the only thing flying around out there. Or the biggest. And so it really does work that way, which I like. And, and so uh, the film echoes this later by uh, showing Jake when he's joined the Navi, when he's in his avatar, he has to spend a night in the wilderness, which is itself a ritual induction often into adulthood or adolescence that can uh, interact with the induction into the ability to encounter those altered states. Remember, I mentioned the Kabbalah a second ago. That was for originally, you had to be like 40 to study that. So, you know, it does vary. But uh, Jake is left in the wilderness because the humans rule is that they, their equipment and their protections aren't enough at night. So no one does night missions. So they have to leave him. And he actually gets rescued by his soon to be his Navi girlfriend, uh, who sort of is like the Pocahontas of the Navi. So, uh, in rescuing him, she has to kill some animals and she's very upset. And she tells him again, you know, it mer it, the movie really does mirror the journey from birth to death. She tells him, you're like a baby. You're making noise because you don't understand. You know, you're, you're, you're in the defensive mode still and you need to see. Uh, and so, and then he says a very interesting question. Let's listen to it. Stupid, ignorant like a child. Well, if I'm like a child, then, uh, look, maybe you should teach me. Sky people cannot learn you do not see. <laughs> then teach me how to see. No one can teach you to see. Whoa. What she tells him, again, is no one can teach you to see. And that's because you've got to be to see. In other words, you've got to be still. You've got to create that ritualized space. And then you've got to just be still and look within. Follow your breathing count, say a mantra, whatever it is, but you've just got to slow down and get out of that day to day and see what you see. And I really do. I, I will tell you this, folks, this is so true. It really is true. You can do all of the external things you want, but as, until you are cultivating the same things within, until you are looking within and drawing from within to make sure you're acting in line with your values and make sure that you're, you're seeing yourself as part of a bigger whole, you'll just stay in that, that sort of chasing the external world and its approval. But if you can be, you can see in the shamanic sense. You can see beyond. You can see what really matters. You can see how you can change the world to be the way, closer to the way it should be. But to do that, you've got to slow down. You've got to cult that, cultivate that sight. You've got to see, as Michelle Rodriguez tells us, you've got to see that you're not the only thing flying, out, flying around out there. And another, another way that the movie does such a good job of, of making this point again, uh, this guy really picked the wrong line to make fun of me for. But uh, there's a character called Norm Spellman. And he's such an interesting character because he's a trained scientist, unlike Jake Sully, who is a warrior. And so there's this sense, it's almost like the myth of the prodigal son, you know, you have the son who did everything right and stayed at home and did his duties. Then you have the prodigal or the wasteful, the spendthrift son who wasted his inheritance and had to come back. And in Rembrandt's famous painting of the prodigal son returning home to his father's embrace, it's so perfect because in the shadows that 
Rembrandt is so famous for the 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 brother who is not prodigal is there kind of like man you know like scowling like ah what the hell like i should have been prodigal you know what i mean at least he had a good time uh and of course that's that's the parable that's not what it's about uh your know, love is infinite it welcomes you back you know regardless it has enough for everybody and norm spellman has a little jealousy like kind of i train my whole life if you've seen patch adams you know robin williams is the goofy doctor but he's got the touch everybody loves him and then philip seymour hoffman is like the best student of all time but he's he's cold and he, he breaks down eventually. He's like, I've, I, this is supposed to be me. You know, and Norm Spellman is kind of that way. And his name is so perfect because he's, he's, he's not a shaman. He's a Norm Spellman. He's a normal sort of day-to-day magician. He's a technician more than a magician, rather. Uh, and he's, he gets to educate Jake, but he's also a little bit resentful. He comes around, but you do have to watch out for the Norm Spellmans. When, if you find your gift, it's often going to be in a context where there are people who wish they had the gift that you had, and they've kind of been trying to cultivate it, but it's not their actual gift. They're just chasing, you know, sort of something the external world told them they should chase. It's wild, but it does happen. I, and I've done it myself. I mean, that's how you realize you're chasing what somebody else has told you is a good life rather than your own. Or you love something and you just aren't the Michael Jordan of it. You know what I mean? It's got to be frustrating. Everybody Michael Jordan played basketball with was the Michael Jordan of where they came from and worked just as hard. But you're not always, you know, the chosen one and you can't always be it. And so Norm has his own journey. Uh, but he, he is a good character. You got to give it up for him. And so one thing he does is sort of teach uh, Jake Navi, but in doing so, they also learn to see and respect each other. And the movie, again, does this in such a concise, efficient way through the script by having Norm explain to Jake how the Navi used the verb to see to mean more than just the regular reality. In other words, their seeing really is a non-dual sight. Uh, that all that it is that shamanistic site that I'm talking about. Let's hear Jake's explanation of how he and his Navi girlfriend and Norm Spellman are all sort of seeing each other uh, and illustrating this concept at the same time. Atiri calls me scoundrel. It means moron. This is a very important part of it. Norm's attitude has improved lately. I see you. But it's not just I'm I'm seeing you in front of me. It's I see into you. I see It's good he's back on board. But he thinks I'm a scoundrel too. I understand you. You got to get this, okay? All right. So how do we cultivate uh, this state? Uh, how do we become avatar shamans ourselves? How do we learn to fly the way that Jake Sully did? And we could do a bunch of clips. There's a lot to talk about. You could do the same sort of analysis. Actually, you couldn't because this is a family podcast and it involves the tales <laughs> in Avatar. And that, you know, uh, maybe one day I'll do the, the an after hours podcast about the tale imagery in, in Avatar. But uh, I thought it would be helpful for our last segment to talk about that, that final promise of the, the beginning of the movie, the shamanic flight, and what does that actually mean? And the movie does such a good job uh, of illustrating this by having the Navi congregate around what's called the Tree of Souls, where all of their ancestors reside after their corporeal or their bodily form dies. They go back into the world, uh, uh, the, the entire world. They have like a, a word for the world encompassing everything, the people in it and everything. And 
you know, you just, we, we go through different forms, but, uh, the, the souls of the people live in the tree of souls. And that again is a, the classic archetypal image is, uh, the tree as the, what's called the axis mundi or the, the path by which the shamanic figure travels into alternate realities, both the underworld where the tree's roots are, the day-to-day world where we see the trunk of the tree and its bark, and then the upper realms, or, or what's sometimes called the sacred canopy above, the world as it could be, the ideal world, maybe the platonic ideal world, maybe the entrepreneur's vision of the world with, you know, what Jeff Bezos thought when there was an Amazon-less world. He went to the upper realms and said, what if I sold books out of my garage? And now he's really in the upper realm in space, you know, or I'm not sure if he's actually gone up yet, but you see what I'm saying. Uh, And so here's my rhyming point that really, it's not scary. It's a good thing, but it's a little bit extreme. But this is the third takeaway from Avatar. How do you get that shamanic flight? You've got to die before you can fly. Okay. What do I mean by this? Uh, what I mean is don't kill yourself. Don't jump off a building. Seriously. I don't mean to be flippant about that. I really do not. Mental illness is no joke. I've said this before. Don't meditate. If you're unstable, get help and ask your doctor if you should meditate. Uh, so I'm not actually saying die and then fly or anything like that. I actually have a friend who was mentally ill and committed, or uh, that's not the verb I think that people use, but he killed himself by jumping off a building. So I'm, I, I'm not being flippant about that. Um, but you do have to have a figurative death that is the wound, the shamanic wound that I'm talking about. And you have to have an ego death where you let go of those ego rules, those safety-based rules that you've created for yourself. And the way that you do that is you really have to close your eyes. You have to go blind. You have to let your sense perception die so that you can travel to another realm because your sense perception, if you believe that the world is hostile, won't let you be, remember? And you've got to be before you can see. And so again, Avatar does this such a good job with this by uh, using the colonel, again, the military representation of the defensive ego posture. And the script uses such an important phrase in the clip we're about to play, orbital images, which they mean to to mean satellite images that show the Navi kind of amassing in a defensive position as the final battle is starting. But think about it, orbital images. What else are orbs that produce images? Your eyes, you know? And that's, that's what the movie's been getting at over and over again. So let's hear what the Colonel has to say about that. Everyone on this base, every one of you, is fighting for survival. That's a fact. There's Aboriginal horde out there massing for an attack. Now, these orbital images tell me that the hostiles' numbers have gone from a few hundred to well over 2,000 in one day, and more are pouring in. In a week's time, there could be 20,000 of them. At that point, they will overrun our perimeter. Well, that's not going to happen. Our only security lies in preemptive attack. We will fight terror with terror. So when you hear that, that really is the feeling of uh, what Brene Brown calls in her Atlas of the Heart, the feeling of overwhelm as a noun. Uh, But 
That's how you have to be to see. You have to let those defenses down. You kind of have to give yourself over to that sense of overwhelm. And that's why the shamanic journey is one of learning to control these overwhelming sensations, learning to control the integration of self and other so that you can transcend it, uh, so that you can transcend these perspectives. And that's how you build something bigger than your ego self is by letting your ego self down in that safe ritualized space so that you can come out of it reintegrated and stronger than ever, having transcended what no longer serves your values and rebuilt a, an ego and a self that is now ready to serve your community and your values anew. And, and if you do that, and if you will commit yourself to do that, and if you will live and demonstrate those values, that is how you transcend yourself. That is how you prepare yourself for death so that when you reach the end of this plane and this journey on this plane, you say, I, I selved as hard as possible. I did my thing as hard as possible. I looked as hard as possible at what could be, and I worked as hard as possible to make that happen. <clears throat> And if you can do that, and each time you do that, you really, that's why it's, I, I really mean it when I say you can die and then you can fly because you get born again and you fly past those day-to-day -day boundaries. And so our last clip really illustrates that from the Navi perspective uh, when they talk about being born again. So let's hear it. The Navi say that every person is born twice. The second time when you earn your place among the people forever. So that's when you're born twice, when you take your position among the people, when you become part of a community, because there's a giving of self and a giving of self over to what would, uh, from a defensive posture, be overwhelming, because there's a faith and a confidence that your values will endure and that you will endure and that you are meant to give yourself over to this other and to the world because we want to connect. And that's what we're here to do. And that's how we build something better. That's how we build another world. And that's really what Avatar is all about to me. Uh, and that's what going on the shamanic journey is all about to me. I try to do it every day. I really think each piece of great art and each great film helps us do that, helps us, uh, the masters who make these films take us into an otherworldly space. We put our faith in their control. And if everything goes right, we come out learning something new, but it's always learning who, we's, who we've always been and how we can be that person today. And I hope we've come close to something resembling that for you today, this week. I think we'll do it next week. I'm excited. We've kind of got a similar vibe going. I'm pretty sure we're going to do Jurassic Park, folks. So it's been great. This has been a lot of fun. I'll see you next week. Success Movie Rewind. Until next time, goodbye. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.